Well, good morning. Thank you all uh, for being here. Um, as Gary prayed in his prayer, you all know that uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul passed away uh, this past Wednesday, and uh, we're all uh, grieving his loss. Uh, R.C. was a uh, uh, great influence in my life. He was a professor of mine at seminary, and we had a lot of friends, uh, very good friends that worked at Ligonier, and he was a unique uh, uh, and wonderfully gifted theologian. So please do be praying for his family and for Ligonier Ministries, which I'm sure will continue. Uh, he uh, left it in, uh, in very capable hands. There's amazing people uh, there and has built uh, quite a remarkable legacy. So the first Ligonier conference that Madi V and I went to is in 1994. And I was already a Christian for many years. But uh, at that conference, uh, R.C. was talking uh, in his usual way. He was pacing up and down the stage doing his Columbo uh, routine and, uh, and with his hand to his head and asking questions, rhetorical questions. And he said, uh, he says, I, I don't understand the questions that people ask about Jacob and Esau. How, how could God possibly have hated Esau? And, uh, I mean, isn't God love? How could he hate Esau? And then he turned to the congregation, and there were thousands of people there. And he said, they're asking the wrong question. The question is, how could he have loved Jacob? And in that big audience, I burst out in tears. <laughs> I started weeping. And I turned to Marty V, and I said, I think I'm finally a Christian. Because I saw my sin really, for the first time. I've been a Christian for years. But I really didn't realize it until I heard those words. How could he have possibly loved Jacob? Not, how did he hate Esau? And that's the legacy of Dr. Sproul. Quite a man. We're going to continue our talk uh, this morning about the kingdom of God. I have said to you that Christmas, uh, apart from all the sentimentality and all of the... Uh, good and warm feelings that we get from Christmas, we have to remember uh, the basic message of Christmas, which is that God came down to the earth and took on flesh. It's the only religion, folks, in all the world, of all the religions, where God actually comes down and gives Himself to His people. And we have said from the beginning, and I remind you every Christmas, Christmas, that the trajectory of Christmas, the trajectory of really the whole Bible, the gospel, is from heaven to earth. It's God coming down to us, not us in some way ascending or trying to reach up and somehow get God to love us. God loved us already, or He would not have sent His Son and so for those of us who claim to be Christians, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, the coming of the King, along with all of the beauty of Christmas and the sentimentality of it, which I love and embrace, and I hope you do as well, we cannot forget that the coming of the King changes this world. A threshold was crossed, and the world isn't the same anymore, not in any way. And it never will be the same again. All things have changed. And I said specifically to you these past few weeks, it changes, first of all, our allegiance. What is 
the ultimate allegiance in our lives. Secondly, last week we talked about expectations, and I did receive some very uh, encouraging notes from many of you about that. Expectations. What are our expectations in life and how the coming of the king changes those? And today we're going to talk about how the coming of the king changes our values. What is valuable to us? What is ultimate in our lives? Are they people? Are they things? You know, we like to say, well, you know, my family is the most important thing to me or God is the most important thing to me or whatever. Uh, Is it money? Very few people would admit that, but is money where you find your ultimate value? In other words, if money was stripped away, what if tomorrow you woke up with nothing? Or what if tomorrow you woke up without that person that you have put all your eggs in that person's basket? What happens if they're gone? Uh, In America, we like to say our greatest value is our freedom, our individuality. And we have made a god of freedom and individuality. Uh, In our day, certainly in the 21st century, image has become important. Uh, Ben Coppedge reminded us a few weeks ago, this is the age of the selfie. That's what you see. Self-love, image. And what we present on Facebook is not really who's really behind the Facebook avatars, which even my own Facebook, I put a lot of things up there, but nobody really knows what's going on inside behind the scenes. Uh, So there's all kinds of things that are valuable. Approval, money. We could go on and on. I could make a list a mile long. In fact, I have one here a mile long, but I'm not going to take the time to do it. But when you become a Christian, the king comes and he presents a set of values. And he says, here, before you, I'm going to lay out these values. Here's what's valuable. And if you claim to be a Christian, if you have the temerity to say, I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ, He is going to be my King and Lord, and yes, I will follow Him, then you are obliged in every single way to adopt His values, even and even especially if they cross your values. He is there to redefine what is valuable for us, and He does this First of all, through his teachings, uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, through the parables, but also, and don't miss this, he also shows us his values in the people he talks to, the people he ministered, the people he hangs around with, the people he interacts with, those he spends time with, people like illiterate fishermen. Who would, I mean, really, you're going to start a movement, you're going to try to, you know, take over the world, really? You go out and get some illiterate fishermen? Honestly? From afar, from the north? You know, that's like, that's like going to Fabens <laughs> to find your disciples. That's what Galilee was, this is what Nazareth was. It's like going out to Fabens. You know, what's in Fabens? Well, I found my wife in Fabens, so it can't be all bad. But I mean, think about it for a minute. Fishermen, who who does he hang out with? A woman, an outcast woman by a well who nobody else wanted to talk to. Hey, how about a prostitute that came and knelt at his feet and wept and wiped his, his feet with her tears, with her hair? And we could go on and on. A blind man, a leper, he touched them. Yikes, you don't touch lepers. He touched them. 
Look at who he hangs around with. And then he's on his way to Jerusalem, and you would have thought, he's going to Jerusalem, make no mistake, he was going to Jerusalem to claim his kingship. We think, oh no, that comes later. Uh Uh-uh. He claimed his kingship in Jerusalem. And he sat on his throne. Only it didn't look like the one they thought. It was shaped like a cross. And you would have thought that going to Jerusalem, he would have done everything he could to seek out the political and the religious powers, to, to schmooze with them like our politicians do. And instead, if you read the narratives and see who he stops and talks, it's astounding, it's shocking who this man going to the ultimate turn in history. All history is ready to shift and change. Everything about the entire universe is going to change. Look at who he talks to. Look at who he spends his time with. That will show you the values of his kingdom. So if you have your Bibles... Take them out to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read a very familiar passage. It's also printed in your bulletin. And, and please, I, this, is, this is so familiar. And many of you, from the time you were little kids, sang songs about Zacchaeus up in the tree, come down, come down, and all of that. And so please, read the narrative if best you can like you never heard it before. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's on His way. He's just a moments away from going to the cross. Days from going to the cross. Throngs of people are following Him. Nobody can get close to Him. And look what He does. Amazing. Listen to the Word of God here in Luke chapter 19. We'll just read the first ten verses about Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Don't miss that. Chief tax collector and rich. Okay. And he was seeking to see Jesus, who he was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in uh, stature. The Greek word for small is micros. Don't you think that's kind of cute? Micros, little, really, microscope, little tiny guy. He was very small. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. Uh, The word must in Greek, very interesting word, it means I must by compulsion, both internal and external. In other words, Jesus Jesus could not take one step past that sycamore tree. I must stay at your house today. Okay, ready? Let's keep reading. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, talking about the religious leaders, the powers that be, when they saw it, they grumbled. And uh, again, I don't want to give you a Greek lesson, but this word is very powerful. It means they, really, they were really complaining. They were using bad language. They were very upset. 
that Jesus would have stopped and gone in with this rich tax collector. Zacchaeus stood up sometime at dinner, we don't know when, and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so let's take a look at this. How do you find your value? How are you? Let's just put it very personally. You look at your life and you say, okay, uh, Chuck's up there, he's talking about value. How am I going to find out what's really valuable to me? How will I know? And I'm going to suggest that in order for you to find out what's really valuable to you, what is value in your life, you've got to climb a tree. Now, what do I mean by climbing a tree? Well, what I mean is you have to get up high enough out of your stuff, out of your life, out of all your complaints and all your problems, and some of them are are seriously bad. I know that some of us, some of you, face serious, serious problems and challenges. What do I do? I got this diagnosis. Of, I've had this bad thing happen to me. Uh, I've lost my job. I have no money. Uh, my marriage is on the rocks. My children are going haywire. I don't know what to do. And the only way, listen to me, the only way you're going you're to get any idea of what's valuable to you is you've got to find some time, some way to get out from in front of the Facebook and out in front of the blue screen and get quiet and get up and see, look around, look at your life. Because Zacchaeus was up in that tree and one has to ask the question. I mean, if you're not asking this question, you're just not tracking. You're letting the, you're letting the story and all the sentimentality of the story and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus and the songs and all that. Put all that out of your mind. What was that rich man? I mean, some of you've got a lot of money. You're going to go climb a tree to go look at somebody? Uh-uh. No, rich people don't do that. Rich people, how do rich people get to see somebody they want to see? You pay for it. And don't, you admit, don't any of you make a mistake. You want to see somebody important, you've got to pay. Somehow, some way, you either got to give them money or you got to be somebody yourself and there's the quid pro quo and there's all of that. You don't just get to go in and see whoever you want. Make no mistake. And Zacchaeus had no access, not even with his money and especially not being a tax collector and a sinner. No access, no way. How are you going to get to see the king? How are you going to get to see this guy, whoever he is? We don't even know what he was doing up in the tree. Other than he was curious. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see what was going on. Was it mere curiosity? I mean, it begs the question. Was he just curious? Was there some deeper need? Was there some guilt in his life, some remorse? That money wasn't filling. Those of you that have money and have had money or are constantly having plenty of money, has it satisfied you really, really down to the deepest part of your soul? Honestly? I've never met anybody who has told me honestly right into my eyes, yes, money has met all my needs. 
Y'all remember David Lee Roth from the, the, the band Van Halen? I think I've told you this story before. He was on a talk show, I think, with, with uh, David Letterman or Jay Leno or one of the... He was on a talk show. And, he, and this was at the height of David Lee Roth's career with Van Halen. And, then, and, the, and he had just bought a $10 million yacht and uh, was, you know, having these wild parties, can't describe it in church. And uh, anyway, uh, the, the interviewer, I think it was Jay Leno, was kind of teasing him and said, you know, David, money can't buy you love. And David Lee Roth said, no, but I can pull my yacht right up next to it. And a lot of us think that. Well, maybe it doesn't satisfy, but boy, it really makes me get close. Really, really, really. Done a lot of funerals, folks. And I can tell you, there's a corpse in that box. Plus nothing. Why was he up in the tree? We will never know. I'm not going to speculate. I have no idea why he was up in the tree. It says he wanted to see Jesus, and I'll take it at that. But if you're like Zacchaeus, and I'm like Zacchaeus, and we are, we know that there was something motivating this rich man to go up in that tree. Maybe just curiosity, but maybe it was like us. Maybe it was a lot of things. Maybe it was complicated. Don't you find your life complicated, or is your life just black and white? How many of you, your lives are black and white? Don't raise your hand because I'll embarrass you. Your life's not black and white. Come on. It is very complex. Our motives are complex. What moves us? How do you know what's valuable to you? You won't know really what's valuable to you until it gets taken away. And then all of a sudden you go, wow, if I'd have known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. My health is shot. Right? So, The human experiences, our human experience, what we talked about last week is that we all live with unrealized expectations. And those affect, remember I told you it actually, scientists have found, these neurologists have found, it actually affects our dopamine levels. If you think you're going to get something and you don't get it, you know, your dopamine goes up when you think you're going to get it. When you don't, your dopamine goes down. And it can be painful. It can hurt. Anybody ever had a broken relationship? Did you ever find the one you think is your one? The one that God has for you? And then they find somebody else? You're probably married to that person. I mean, come on. Unrealized expectations. We talked about it last week. There is in humanity, in all of us folks, there's this gnawing discontent. There is something in the heart of every human being with no exceptions that something's just not right. I got this thing. I got this job. I have this amount of money. I have this person that I've been wanting. I thought they were going to meet all my needs. I've got this career. I've got this rank if you're in the military. I've got this, you know, I finally got my driver's license for some of you young, uh, younger ones. You know, I finally got this. And then after a while, it's not satisfying. And there's something gnawing away because we have, have an idea that that is where we get our value, our identity, our meaning, our esteem. And time and time again, they betray us. St. Augustine, you know St. Augustine's maxim that he wrote in Confessions? It's in the first couple paragraphs, I think. Oh God, dear God, he says, our hearts are restless 
Until what? They find their rest in thee. Our hearts are restless till it finds our rest in thee. How do you know what you're seeking? How do you know what true value is unless you climb, unless you get up? And I'm going to suggest that unless you look honestly at religion, say, well, you just have to be sincere. Well, I hope you're really sincere because what you're saying is sincerity is going to save you. And what happens on those days when you're not so sincere? Oh, I know none of you are like that, but I'm like that. And I have days when I doubt. And I have days when I don't want anybody to know what I really think. And I have days when... I mean, and if I'm like that, I'm sure that you're a hundred times worse. <laughs> no. What are you seeking? Until you're willing to honestly look. You know what? Did, did you just accidentally pop into being? And you, you know, your life is nothing. You're just a higher... Uh, form of animal and someday you're going to die and go into the grave, then why does anything matter right now? Why are we so stressed out? Why don't we just do what Jesus said? Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die. Tomorrow's the grave. Who cares? Why are we so... I don't care if you're a liberal Democrat or a conservative Republican or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or you're Jewish or Muslim. I don't care what religion you are. Everybody believes that something matters. There's only a tiny percentage of people who are uh, 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 anarchists, who says nothing matters. And if you catch them and you get them in a cell and you question them closely, they will finally tell you, yes, it matters. Please don't break my arm with that you know, baseball bat. Right? They will eventually come around. Like Ravi Zacharias used to say, even the best relativist in the world looks both ways before he crosses the street. Nobody really believes all that, but they pretend. So, stuff matters. Life matters. And unless you're willing to get up, climb the tree and look down like this Zacchaeus, I mean, he was looking. I don't know. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He's looking. You will never know where your true value is. And how do you test your values? Let me give you this quickly. I think this is remarkable. I had to read this story completely over again because... You know, I, I know what happens when we get familiar with a story. We kind of just let things go. But listen carefully. How do you test your value? The way you test your value is this. You come down. See, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you've been up in the tree long enough. Come down. Let's, let us get together down here where life really happens. You know what's interesting is we have no idea what went on in that dinner in Zacchaeus' house and Luke doesn't tell us and I tell you if anyone supposes and tells you well here's what happened, they are lying. They don't know. We don't know what happened. We do know something happened but we don't know what and I think Luke was a pure genius by not telling us what happened because then he's inviting every human being that reads the story to just come and sit in the story. Bring your stuff. Bring your life. Come down. Come down out of the tree. Get in the story and listen to what happens. Zacchaeus comes down. Look at verse 6. 
he hurries and he comes down and he receives Jesus joyfully. Zacchaeus is a despised human being. He's an outsider that nobody likes. Everyone hates him. Even his own people hate him. Even other tax collectors hated each other because they were all in competition. I mean, this was a guy who was very rich and probably had only friends that wanted him for his money or his power or his influence. And he comes down joyfully in him. In his mind, I don't know what he was thinking, but it says here he came down joyfully, he must have thought, hey, I hit the lottery. This guy that everybody is, is whooping it up about and hollering, and oh, look at Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're, they're cheering him into the city. He stopped and he's paying attention to me. Wow! My ship has finally come in. I'm going to have him in my house for hospitality. People are going to actually, people are going to actually think that I'm something. I'm going to go up. Jesus is going to float my boat. How many times have you talked to somebody, or maybe you can remember when, you, when people were telling you about Jesus, how many times were you told, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, become a Christian, He'll fix all of your problems. How many of you heard that? How many of you heard, oh, Jesus is the answer to everything? The Bible never says that. The Bible says, come to me, all you that labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And the place you're going to find your rest, take up your cross and follow me. That's why there's only 100 people in church this morning, folks. And down the street, there's one with 2,000. Just what I just said to you right this second. How many of you loved what I just said to you? Don't raise your hand. Take up your cross and follow me. Are you kidding me? I thought we were supposed to be healthy, wealthy, wise, have the world. That's the American dream. You can have anything you want. You can be anything you want. All you have to do is, and then you make your list. And you can be anything you want. Unless you happen to be ugly, you won't get everything you want. Or if you're too short. Or if you're too tall. Or if you're too clumsy. Or if you're too dumb. Or if you have leprosy. Or if you're blind. Or if you're a tax collector. You're not going to get everything you want. Who do you think you are? Are you crazy? These people lived in the real world. They didn't live in Disneyland. Wow. How many of us come to Jesus because He's so shiny and nice? And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take Jesus and I'm going to add Him to my life and He is going to make me sore. You see, from up there in the tree, folks, it's very easy to fantasize and to do what what uh, one professor at seminary told us, he, he leaned over the, the lectern at school and he told us, he said, Nin, don't you dare go out there and overpromise. Don't you dare go out and tell people Jesus is going to fix all their problems. The day they come to Jesus, their problems are going to start. But their life, listen to me, Troubles will come, but your life will start. You will finally have life. 
you will actually find what Zacchaeus found. Look at what he finds. From up there, it's easy to fantasize, but come down, and what you're going to find is real life, real gospel, real Savior, real Jesus. You're going to be able to look Him in the eyes. You're going to be able to touch His hands. You're going to be able to see the nail prints in His hands. You're going to be able to see the scars on His head. You're going to know that He's real and that when you're going through the valleys of the shadow of death and when things are being stripped away from you, your value is never, never taken from you. That you can endure, that you can live. When everyone else is collapsing and everyone else who's built on the sand is falling, you're there standing. Because you've come down and you see Him. You see, when our expectations... Here's just a a little side note. When expectations are not met, your life, you, you know, life is not going the way you thought, or everything's off kilter, things are not going well. My question generally to people is, are you really looking for Jesus or are you just looking for a fix to your problems? Now answer that on your own. What are you really looking for? Are you looking for a solution to your problems or are you looking for Him? I'll say it again. Are you looking for a solution to your problems or are you looking for Him? You see, when you find Him, you've got everything you need. You have the ultimate value. And then all He says to you and to me, all that the Bible ever says, from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, in the garden, all He told Adam and Eve is, trust me. That's all He said to them. Do you know that? That was the only message in the garden. Trust me, don't eat from this tree. You can have everything else. You can have paradise. They were in paradise, yes. All I'm asking, one thing, trust me. And as Dr. Sproul, R.C. used to say, that creature from the dirt had the temerity to come and defy the living and holy God and shake His fist and say, I'll take what I want when I want. And R.C. said a million times, we don't know who He is. We don't know who God is. And we certainly don't know who we are. We go around in all our pomp and all our greatness and someday the Bible says we are going to be the food of worms. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) It's Christmas. Can't you preach some Christmas? Listen, this is about as Christmas as you want. If you'll take this into your heart, folks, this can change. Up there, everything's going to look shiny. Come down. Not so shiny. What happens when the when the shine what happens when the shine wears off? Look, it's in verse seven. They, the religious elite, they saw it. They grumbled. He's the guest of sinner. He's the guest of a sinner. You see, whatever Zacchaeus was expecting to get, we don't know what it is, remember. Whatever it was, folks, he did not get it. In fact, he didn't rise one inch. Guess who got dragged down? Guess who came down? Guess who gets identified with the tax collector, the sinner, the rich man who's the the friend of nobody? Guess who gets 
brought down. Guess. Jesus. Zacchaeus doesn't rise in anybody's self-esteem. He stays where he is. And Jesus comes down. And he's happy to be there. Spends the time, has the meal. No admiration. He didn't get any respect. He didn't get any strokes from having Jesus in his house. Nothing good happened to Zacchaeus. Unless you keep reading. You see, you've got to get past the shine. And this is what I'm telling you, folks. Christmas can blind you. It can blind you with all the lights and the beauty. And, the, and I, I love it. I mean, we always overdo Christmas in our house. At least when our kids were little. Christmas is a wonderful time, but you can be blinded by the glare of all of it. And what I'm here to tell you is that unless you get past all the shininess, you'll never see it. And look what happens. Verse 8, something did happen. Zacchaeus, whatever he was doing up in the tree, I don't know, he was curious, whatever. He was thinking about his life. I mean, oh, yeah, this guy claims to be a prophet. So he comes down. Whatever went on at dinner, we don't know. But something happened because this man, at dinner time, this rich sinner who had everything in the world you would suppose he gets up and he says Lord I'm telling in front of everybody there all the guests he invited most of them there for free food in front of everybody he says I'm giving half of everything I own to the poor and anyone that I have defrauded or cheated which was their usual custom believe me he had cheated a lot of people I will return it fourfold, four times. I mean, that should take your breath away. Who in this room could do that? I'm going to be honest with you right now, and I hope Danielle takes it off the tape because I don't want anybody to know. I'm not going to give you half of anything I have. Get your own half. And fourfold, you pay me fourfold. I'm Lebanese. Listen, you pay me fourfold. (laughs) So I don't know what happened at that dinner, folks, but something happened to this Zacchaeus. Something happened to this man. He was amazed. Amazed by grace. Something happened. Zacchaeus changed. How do you hold on to the grace? How do you hold on to God for the rest of your lives? How do you make it real in your life? Jesus said in verse 9 and 10, He says, Today salvation has come into this house since He also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Folks, I beg you, I beg you this morning, don't just read over that. Look at what He says. This about undid me when I read this and it hit me this week. Today salvation has come into this house since he also is a son of Abraham. What? What is he talking about? Since he also is a son of Abraham? Who is he referring to? Who was the son of Abraham? Who was the son of promise? Who is Jesus invoking at that moment in time in front of everybody there, including a group of religious leaders, theologians, who would have instantly thought of one name? 
Who's he talking about? The son of Abraham. And this Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. Who's he thinking about? He's thinking about Isaac, the son of promise, who Abraham took up onto a mountain and was ready to plunge a knife into his own son, his only begotten son. And God withheld His hand by the hand of an angel and had a ram caught in a thicket to substitute for Isaac. And Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. And Zacchaeus was saved at that moment. Salvation has come to this house. Why? Because he gave half his goods. Why? Because he's paying fourfold. No! Because he's the son of Abraham. And he's going to get saved the same way as Abraham. The same way as you and me, all of us. By somebody else dying, somebody else has got to pay. How can you make this real, folks, in your life? You gotta climb. You gotta climb back up on the tree. You see, Zacchaeus climbed a tree to find Jesus. But Jesus climbed another tree to find Zacchaeus and you and me. When we lived in Florida, we got introduced. What we, Marty V and I both worked at the. Episcopal Diocese of Central Florida is a sweet lady there. Uh, from, she was from England. Uh, uh, Tally Anderson, she was the secretary to the bishop. And she was a single lady, an older lady, and she, she had a lot of boyfriends. Her boyfriends were J.I. Packer and R.C. Sproul and, and, uh, and, and all these ancient theologians and people. She just loved that stuff. And one of her heroes was George Herbert. And she introduced me to George Herbert. And if you've never read George Herbert's poem, The Sacrifice, I encourage you to look it up today and read it. It's over 150, 60 verses, 63 stanzas. And George Herbert has put these words in the mouth of Jesus. Jesus is saying this poem. And it's one of the most moving things that you will ever read in all your life. And I'm only going to give you, out of those 63 stanzas, here's a couple. Here it is, the gospel of Jesus. In poem, listen, the soldiers led me to the common hall. There they deride me, they abuse me all. Yet for twelve legions of heavenly angels I could call. Was ever grief like mine? Then with a scarlet robe they me array, which shows my blood to be the only way and cordial left to repair man's decay. Was ever grief like mine? Then on my head, a crown of thorns I wear, for thorns are all the grapes this Zion bears. Though I my vine planted and watered it there, was ever grief 
like mine. O ye who pass by, behold and see. Men stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree, the tree of life for all, for all but me. Was there a grief like mine? Jesus climbed that tree for us, the tree of life to us. That's what Christmas means. That's behind the shine is true glory, that thing that is most valuable, that thing, not a thing, that person who will stay with you forever. When every bit of value is gone from our lives, he will remain. And I beg you, this Christmas, don't let it pass. Climb the tree, take up your cross, follow him. The tree of life for all. Let's pray. Father, I know Christmas is a beautiful time, and this is hard stuff to hear. We're wanting to rejoice, but if we can't rejoice in the cross of Christ, if we can't boast in that, what is there to boast in? And so I would rather boast in him, boast in his cross. There is no one like you, Lord Jesus. Who would come down and climb that tree for us? Who would do it? I don't know. Help us find our value in you, Lord Jesus. This Christmas especially, I pray it's a turning point for all of us that we will become kingdom people, find our value in you, even at the expense of our own lives, whatever it is. Nothing is more valuable than you. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, I pray. Amen.